You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Well, welcome everyone to episode 3.9 of the Together in Literacy podcast. I'm here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Emily. Hi, everyone. This is a really special episode, (laughs) and we can't wait to share this big news with you. The Together in Literacy podcast has had over 200,000 downloads. And that just is astounding to both you. I know. And me. And we are just overjoyed at seeing that number and just want to share our excitement and gratitude with all of you. We just love recording this podcast for all of our listeners. We love celebrating all of the amazing things that go on, I guess, in the structure, literacy, and science of reading world and community. So we want to share and celebrate with all of you. And we decided to have a little giveaway as a special thank you to our listeners. But we are not giving away the juicy details <laughs> yet. <laughs> we are going to make you hang on and you're just going to have to sit and be patient now. you'll have to wait because Casey is going to share all of the details of the giveaway at the end. So please stay tuned and Casey will be uh, letting us know all about that. So thank you. (laughs) All right. We are going to segue into our reviews and we hear from our listeners from time to time and love that and truly appreciate anybody that takes the time to send us a review with some feedback. So here we have Reading Specialist 1, and they note, great podcast. I love your podcast. Each time I listen to one, I learn something to apply or something that reinforces what I am doing already. Thank you, ladies, for the time and thought that is put into these podcasts. Keep up the good work. Well, Reading Specialist One, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking the time to share. And we love that we were able to solidify perhaps when you listen to something, what you are doing in your your own classroom with your students. And we want you to keep up the good work too. So thank you. Absolutely. I love that. I always love when there's something that I'm listening to or reading and it Mm -hmm. just reinforces what I'm doing because sometimes I think in our 
world of teaching, even though we're surrounded by children all day long, it really can feel very isolating at times. So sometimes, you know, for people that are not in the teaching world, they may not understand that. But for us as educators, it really can feel a little bit isolating. So when you have a community or you have other colleagues that you're listening to or reading their work, and and it's something that's just sort of reinforcing what you're doing, it, it really is beneficial. So I love that. I agree. Especially when we're working one-on-one with kids or maybe in your own private practice. Yeah. It definitely feels a little bit more isolating. So having our online community or hearing from our listeners just really just helps so, so much. So thank you once again. Absolutely. Well, in today's episode, we are really, we're going to be revisiting a topic that we have um, discussed in season one. And so in season one, we discussed how decodable text can support the social emotional learning for our students, particularly our students with dyslexia, and then how those decodable texts really do have a specific purpose within our lessons. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, that was in season one, episode eight. I mean, we really dug into decodable text. And as we're now in season three, Emily and I both, we continue to hear conversations and questions, both in the social media world and in emails that we get really surrounding the use of decodable text for our early readers and wanted to really dedicate another episode to the purpose of decodable text, as well as, you know, the stages of use, right? When do we use those? And determining how we can use decodable text to transfer knowledge to reading and spelling. So in today's episode, we really are going to dig into the purpose and goals of decodable text and just touch on some of those questions and still some muddy waters that we see people having surrounding the use of decodable text. Absolutely. And I feel like since we have done this episode, there has been an explosion even more decodable materials out there since we did it back in like a couple years ago i I think early 2022 we may have done the, the last episode so i don't think there's really any mystery surrounding the importance of decodable text however sometimes you kind of wonder if there is there may be some people that still uh, may have some confusion over what we use decodable text for and its importance and and how we can use that with um, a particular program or curriculum mm-hmm. so um, when we use decodable text Casey and I have a couple of different analogies, but I've used it as uh, the training wheels, right? The training wheels of reading. It's it's really where the rubber meets the road. It's whatever your phonics instruction that you have been doing gets put into practice within particular text where there is a high frequency of words that have that may follow a particular orthographic pattern, a particular skill or concept that you have taught. And gives children much needed exposure and practice to reading those in sort of a controlled reading format where they're experiencing a high level of success and accuracy as a result because these are skills that have been previously taught. 
And so we do recommend that we use text where decodable text where most of the text is based off of skills that a student is comfortable with and has already been taught. They've seen their patterns that they are comfortable with seeing because you've had a direct and explicit instruction with those concepts. And this is an important time, especially for early readers, because we are trying to uh, build them up towards their oral reading fluency. And so we're providing those training wheels and those opportunities to really practice and put into play what you are doing maybe in your phonics lessons so that when there is that curriculum that you do need to follow, they're able to help cross over into that bridge, which is reading ultimately traditional literature, children's books that you want to provide them. Mm -hmm. Since they're the training wheels, we don't use them forever. However, it will vary the length of time that people need to be using decodable text. For some of your more challenged readers, they're going to be using decodable text for a bit longer. This is really going to depend on the assessment data that you have. I agree. And and I think if we are thinking about the, the use of decodable text, right, we know that it really does need to align with the curriculum that we're teaching or that scope and sequence. And I think that is where with this explosion of, you know, people saying there's decodable text and or this is decodable text and, you know, you can you can search decodable text and you have all of these things that come up now, but you have to pause and ask yourself, does that scope and sequence align with what I'm teaching my students? So just because mm. something says decodable text doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be decodable text for your child. That I think is, is a little bit tricky for people that are kind of stepping into understanding why we're using decodable text and its purpose and its role. And then how do you actually align that to the skills that you're teaching. I think that is where it's really important for you to have an understanding of the scope and sequence so that you are being really mindful and purposeful in aligning the use of the decodable text for your students. And the reason why, you know, as Emily said, we want to provide ample opportunities for practice. And that is the purpose of our decodable text. We know that beginning readers, when we say early readers, we're often thinking of, you know, K-1, but our beginning readers can also be our students that are struggling to still break the code. So we still have to provide our older students who are not yet proficient at word level reading with opportunities to access decodable text. And that's because we know that they are still building those neural pathways in their brain to connect the speech sounds to the letter representations. And so we had a whole episode on the importance of repetition. Um, so I think that would be a good one to revisit if that's something of interest to you, as well as working memory and understanding the role of practice. <laughs> that decodable text really does provide that practice to strengthen that neural network that's needed for reading. Yeah, I agree with the with being very careful about choosing certain decodable text sources and making sure that they align with whatever whatever progression or scope and sequence you may be following. There are some resources 
for me personally that, that I may not use purely because for some for some they may introduce a concept say like the open syllable much sooner than I would be able to with my students just because it's based on the progression that I know is working for that particular group or that student at that time and so I'm not going to choose that source because I don't want to get into open syllable if I'm still working on perhaps just closed syllables. <laughs> I, I can't get into that just yet. So we it can be sometimes I think a little challenging to mm -hmm. make those sound decisions. And that is why I think when we do choose a decodable resource, making sure that there's some transparency with whatever progression or scope and sequence that they follow and having that readily available to either download or, you know, in the manual, whatever you choose, I think is so mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. And then, you know, understanding too, on the flip side of that, how long do you keep decodables? And we'll talk more about that gradual release because sometimes um, I've, I've received questions from general education teachers in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and they're asking for decodables. And my question is, are they needed? Right. They need it. So we have to have an understanding of, of its purpose and how we're releasing that. As Emily said, they're the training wheels, or I refer to them as stepping stones, right? They are not a permanent fixture for our students. They are a way to get from A to B. And so when we're thinking about that, right, and coming back to understanding that really we have these decodable text and we kind of have these stages as, as we've sort of talked to or these types of decodable text, whether that's at the word level stage or we're at the phrases stage, sentences stage, and then moving into text. We really have to just remember that we have this critical nature of building upon the phonics skills that are taught and providing application of practice. And I think, you know, if we keep that at the core of the purpose of decodable text, regardless of what our scope and sequence is, there's no one set, quote unquote, set scope and sequence out there. There's the scope and sequences are very similar, but, you know, understanding that you have to under, you have to know what your scope and sequence is. You have to know what your child or your student needs, right? So you're addressing their academic needs and then explicitly teaching that and then providing application of practice. Absolutely. And sometimes I'll hear from teachers out there, you know, as being an author of decodable text, I may hear from teachers who may say, oh, this, this was too hard for my students. And I think what we need to remember in that case, as Casey is pointing out, and this is actually a really good lead in into the scaffolding discussion, is that there are those stages where we can advance them more deeply into even longer decodable text. And there is, I think, two things at play here, particularly with a more challenged reader. There's stamina. Yeah. Where they aren't, they may just be at the phrase or a sentence level. And so mm -hmm. I'm not going to give them, say, like the high noon short chapter books at right. that point. Absolutely not. Right. They even, even if I know they have mastered even many of those concepts in those books, like in the Sound Out series, I'm still not because I know they don't have the stamina enough 
just yet to get to that point. But I know that at the phrase or the sentence level, we're working towards that. We're getting there. Right. And so, and then we may transition into just like a page mm-hmm. um, or, and then get into a book. It really is going to depend. But we do want to be super careful with not taxing that cognitive load when we are in that a particular stage. And you'll know that. You'll notice when you listen to your students read, you know, are they at that phrase or sentence level or are they ready to move on to perhaps a short poem that's decodable where they can feel success? So we're just gradually giving them a little bit more, a little bit more. We're never leaving them in that sentence level stage. We're always progressing them further. But when I hear that conversation like, this is too hard, think about why. Is it a, ma- a matter of stamina or is it a matter where there may not have been enough time and practice and repetition in a particular concept that has been taught? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have a child that is still segmenting every single sound of every mm-hmm. single word and putting a book in front of them or a larger passage is is not going to be as beneficial as backing them up and ensuring that they can blend at the word level, then moving into phrase level, sentence level, and so forth. So understanding that scaffolding, and Emily and I say this all the time, is it really does depend (laughs) on the students sitting in front of you. And I know we would all like to just be handed a manual that says do one, two, three, four, and you're done. But it it doesn't work that way. We're working with human beings and Mm -hmm. each one is beautiful and unique. And we really have to honor the journey that they're on. And that then in turn really makes our job one that we have to have a really solid understanding of where the child is, where we want them to be, if how they're doing, how to put in scaffolds if needed, and how to gradually release that um, practice to them. I am so grateful that don't we don't have to follow this first do this then do that (laughs) within that manual when it comes to using the Orton Gillingham approach that we can be respectful of where that child or that adult is at in their journey to reading and make adjustments as needed I have taught the same concepts to, you know, many different students. Mm -hmm. And the approach is just a little bit different each time, depending on what that student needs or how much repetitions they're going to need. I may not even use the same decodable text with each child, even though I've done this lesson so many times and I could pull out the same decodable passage every single time I I could, but I make those decisions based on, you know, diagnostic and prescriptive prescriptive decision-making here on what they need at that time. This comes with experience. It takes Mm -hmm. time, really. I cannot stress enough how, how much time it takes, I think, to develop your skills as being diagnostic and prescriptive in education it is constantly developing it's (laughs) it is 
It really is. And, and for me, scripted programs aren't bad. I think they provide a really solid foundation. There's some really good ones. There's some really bad ones, but where, where I think what we're talking about here is even within programs, whether it's a scripted program or, you know, we, we know part of structured literacy and Orton Gillingham approach is being systematic and sequential. So you have to have a path. You have to have something there to fall on. But Mm -hmm. what we're saying is you also have to have the knowledge to be diagnostic and prescriptive. And as Emily said, that does come with time, but it also comes with knowledge and understanding the students in front of you and understanding when to put in a scaffold and what kind of a scaffold and when to release that and when to put in certain types of retrieval practice for your students. All of those things really is the art of teaching that we talk about often. And I think sometimes in, in our conversations currently in education, it seems like people think it's either the science of reading or it's learning to be a teacher itself. To me, they're not separate. Like there, it's not this idea of you are a science, you know, a structured or science of reading teacher and, or you, you love to teach the love of reading. Like (laughs) the art of teaching to me is rooted in research and rooted in science. And I think for me, that is what's really at the heart of the work that I do, but yes, absolutely. So we, um, Casey alluded to this one. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the gradual release. So Mm -hmm. when, you know, so we, I had mentioned we have the training wheels, right? Right. We have our decodable text and we're going to slowly release that. And a couple of things that I have noticed that I've, sorry, not noticed, noted in the past when I've spoken about the use of decodable text and things we want to be careful about is when to know when they no longer need decodable text. And that is if I see a child reverting back to compensatory strategies that were not taught by me, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but things that they I would say not even strategies. I'd call them habits because strategies are plans to help you do something well. So compensatory habits, I'm going to revise my thinking there, that really are not progressing them forward. Like if I see them still trying to look at the first letter and just make an attempt at Mm -hmm. that word. No, this is not a child that's really ready to be released onto harder text and does need more, more repetition and more practice with decodable text so that, and, and explicitly, explicitly using those decoding strategies, which we have an episode on for decodable scaffolds, right? That was in episode, oh my goodness, Casey, we are three point, (laughs) perhaps 3.7. I need to look at my notes, but I believe that was 3.7. If you're interested in learning about that. So um, that's one thing to keep in mind is, are they reverting back to any old compensatory habits that they may have picked up on that have, that maybe semi served them in the past, Mm -hmm. but will not in the long run. (laughs) So that's one. I think another one that I see often is students reading silently to themselves. Mm -hmm. And for me, Really, when I'm looking at that with 
decodable use of decodable text within the gradual release, I want to hear my students reading out loud. It is not going, if they are at that stage where they are still in need of decodable text, they need to be reading it out loud, not silently to themselves. Because we really need to think about how are you going to provide immediate corrective feedback if they have an error? How are you going to know where they are in that gradual release and being able to take those training wheels off from decodable text and move into more authentic text if you aren't listening to them read? So um, I think, you know, when we're planning our lessons, if you're in like a small group or, you know, a whole classroom and you're thinking about having students practice reading, what is that going to look like? What is it going to sound like? Right, right. I think that's a great point to make. So those are a couple of things. And a couple of other points to make when we know they're ready to move on. They will have demonstrated, both in reading and in spelling, mm -hmm. mastery of our basic foundational skills, some common syllable types. Like, of course, the closed syllable, moving on to some simple syllable division, um, but have the, you know, digraphs and blends. So they should have demonstrated mastery of those foundational skills um, in reading and in spelling before you begin to see them want, needing to move beyond that. However, yeah. this is going to greatly differ if you're talking about a student in the intervention setting. Right? Yeah. What I was describing would be more of your typical reader in a first or second grade classroom because tip a typical reader may not need decodables past maybe early second grade, but that, that's going to really be different in the intervention setting. Right. So, big distinction. I Yeah, I think so. And I think sometimes that's where I've seen the use of decodable text being a little bit muddied as people are trying to step into more of the science of reading application. Right. They're thinking that decodable text is, is what their students need all the way through all the grades within the general education classroom. And I would no, that's when we're thinking about decodable text for students, it really is it's those stepping stones or those training wheels to get them to read the, their general text. And so one of the questions that kind of comes up is, you know, then, okay, well, is there a place for decodables for students um, that are maybe moving into advanced phonics instruction? And I would say yes, but again, yeah. it needs to align with the work. You have to stick to your goal and your purpose so that you're providing practice of that application. But our students, as they move into advanced phonics, you're going to see that they're starting to apply their learned knowledge into more and more orthographic representations. And so you'll see that that's really where I'm seeing more of that gradual release as we move away from always using decodable text at those really early stages. As we move into more advanced phonics, we can start to release and maybe we have like decodable sentences that we're working on or, or a short paragraph or a text and we move into their general grade level text passages. Absolutely. And you can still find that certain decodable resources mm -hmm. can still be with 
when we're talking about advanced phonics instruction, still offer valuable opportunities, perhaps for building some vocabulary or building in some background knowledge. So uh, there can be uh, a time and a place where we can use them. I would say just the frequency would not be um, there as it would be with your earlier readers. Agreed. Yes. And All right. Oh, so sorry, Casey. Kind of, no, I was going to say, I think that kind of brings us then into, we know as our students are moving forward, we are particularly looking at that oral reading fluency, mm-hmm. right? And so some of the questions that Emily and I are often asked is, well, can we use decodables to measure oral reading fluency? Mm-hmm. We've been hearing that question a yeah, lot. me too. Mm-hmm. So. Let's think about that. When we're measuring oral reading fluency, we are basing it on benchmarks that are set in place, perhaps for your grade level, for an an age or stage of reading. But when we're looking at decodable text, that is basing off of uh, either a progression or a scope and sequence in a particular approach or program that you may be using not necessarily basing it on benchmarks of what is a standard oral reading fluency at a particular grade level. And that is because not every child is going to be at a certain you know particular point with decodables, especially with our intervention students, and so the measure of oral reading fluency, especially for your intervention students, mm-hmm. is not going to be as reflective in this case. They're not going to maybe be demonstrating that mastery at like a second grade oral reading fluency level. However, they may be showing progress, growth, and mastery in a particular scope and sequence or progression that you're following. These are really two different things. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at how they're progressing with decoding by giving them decodable text, we can monitor their progress by how much mastery we see within their reading. So how they're showing their accuracy with the based off of the skills that you've previously taught right and how that's also crossing over into their spelling and we'll get into that as well you know we have to remember what's the purpose of decodable text right and it's to help our students consolidate their knowledge of the alphabetic principle and their application of that and so that is what we're looking at Versus the oral reading fluency, which as Emily mentioned, is sort of that norm referenced or, or grade level reference criteria on those universal screeners. Right. It depends. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we aren't going to, to do a, a rate and accuracy assessment on decodables for that particular purpose, but then we can think about, well, how then can we progress monitor, right? We're all re- required to do some progress monitoring. And is there a way that we can do that then with decodables? And Emily mentioned, right, that we certainly can look at their transfer of 
their knowledge within the reading? Right? Are they able to read the passage or the sentence or the words that we're working on? And are they able to spell those words? Remember that spelling and reading really go hand in hand and we need to ensure that we are monitoring students' application of both of those things, not just reading. So when we're thinking about that progress monitoring, right, we want to look at that progression and how they're mastering those skills and transferring that knowledge. And so one of the things that Emily and I talked about was thinking about at what points within your intervention lessons, you can observe students' application of knowledge, right? And, and collect your data. So being really mindful of what points within the lesson, it makes sense to, um, to collect data. Yeah. And let me give you a really good example. And this is one that's very recent for me. So student yesterday, dictation, been working on vowel team EA. Okay. Now at the dictation portion, Mm-hmm. I do prompt at the beginning saying, okay, we are going to be working on vowel team EA and because there's no tried and true spelling generalization to know EA versus EE. Right. So that was the prompt at the beginning. And the mm-hmm. sentence was, I have it written down right here. The mm-hmm. seal on the beach had a feast with the fish. Okay. So child writes down uh, sorry spells accurately seal beach and then when he uh when they got to feast f-e-s-t so before i even point anything else and here's a perfect example of a media corrective feedback this is what i say all right can you we have them read the sentence back to themselves is they need to know that they're vocalizing it for themselves, not just, you know, demonstrating it for me. Mm-hmm. So I say, can you please underline the words that have the vowel T-E-A? And can you tell me how many there are? Child underlines seal. Okay. Finds beach. Underlines beach. Underlines feast, spelled F-E-S-T. And immediately picks up on, oh, mm-hmm. hold on. And makes that correction. Yeah. And what I did there was put that child in the driver's seat, but the prompt for immediate corrective feedback was leaning them towards them being more metacognitive so that they could find their own errors before I'm the one that says, no, that's not how we spell feast. Right. That is not the way we lead them into that correction right so i just wanted to point that out i just want to say i think that's a great example of how Mm -hmm. you number one provided immediate corrective feedback but in a way that uh, thinking about where you were on that gradual release Mm -hmm. you didn't go right back to where you did it you guided that child within the the we do part and really help them see that so that they can start to analyze their spelling applications. Right. Well, oh, and just, I'm going to backtrack to Casey's original point. I, I not, I, I have a, a method to my madness here. We're always leading them towards independence. Always. Just having them underline 
and call attention to those orthographic features right there and reading that word out loud is leading them down that pathway of independence and yep. helping them edit themselves if that is going to help them use that skill in their writing when they're not with me at the sentence work at the sentence level is critical we can do another episode on that another time casey but, but <laughs> just to give back to this original point of mastery so if the child is spelling seal and beach correctly but spells feast f-e-s-t think about that how are, are we approaching mastery yeah we're getting there yeah. however we're not quite there yet even with the prompt that i said okay we're going to be practicing with all team yet still f-e-s-t now that could be a few other factors maybe a tiny little bit of attention to detail here and there right maybe a tiny bit of fatigue we don't know however if we're talking about mastery yes i would want to see f-e-a-s-t yeah yeah okay I love that. And that's a great example for the spelling application. Yes. And I think too, when I'm looking at use of decodables, decodable text really are a great place for me to observe how my students are applying their decoding skills. So whether we are at the stage where we are having to sound outwards and we're doing that sub vocally or vocally or internally, there's each of these steps have their own gradual release and um, or what kind of corrective feedback I'm having to use with the student that provides me with so much information for me to be prescriptive and diagnostic in my lessons. So if I have a student, we had a whole episode on helping students with decoding and the importance mm -hmm. of scaffolding decoding that you can check out, or I can look at, do they have an understanding of the morphemes? And then how do we decode within that? And we talked about that in that episode as well. So there's so much that decodable text provides in terms of really being, providing observations and collecting that observational data to help you drive instruction. Absolutely. And I think we just want to make sure that there are ways for us to really watch and uh, look for mastery in a variety of ways mm -hmm. as they read with accuracy in the decodable text, but then how they can transfer that and apply it into their spelling. And dictation is definitely one way that you can see and watch for that transfer. Dictation is a powerful thing, my friends. <laughs> really, it really is. It really is. It's such a window. It's a big window. And it's, I like think, a, it's like a big bay window. Yeah. <laughs> it, is. it is. It gives you so much insight. Right. Where people are, are transferring their knowledge and where perhaps um, certain breakdowns are, where they are, really, maybe not any breakdowns, but just where they are in their journey to breaking the code. Right. Yeah. And um, our friends in uh, that we work with may not always enjoy this part part of the mm -hmm. lesson however i always use this as an opportunity for praise when i see something like oh great job checking that or oh look at that you remember to use the right punctuation or things like that so use that as a time really to praise your students including also praising them when they use great decoding strategies in decodable text yeah and for me, I think that's a really great takeaway because oftentimes in 
intervention lessons, if we're not really monitoring the pacing, what mm-hmm. falls spelling and sometimes decodable text, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we understand the value that both of those hold, we it really brings to the forefront the necessity to ensure that we are getting to those pieces every single time, right? We can't not do spelling. We can't not do that connected text, that decodable text. That is what your students are working on transferring what they're learning and providing them with that opportunity to apply that knowledge. So I know when I first started many, many, like several decades ago, spelling was, you know, at the back end of my lesson, just because the scope and sequence went right. right. And that was usually what I was like, oh, and I quick try to squeeze it in. Right. But shifting my understanding and it still may be in the same part of my lesson, but I make sure I'm really cognizant of my lesson pacing to ensure that I'm providing time for spelling and for decodable text reading, because those are so vital for our kids. And give them those opportunities for success, please, each day. All right. And with that, we are going to to segue into some juicy details. But before we do, we just want to remind everyone that togetherinliteracy.com is the website. We have our show notes. We have all the episodes, like 40, over 44 episodes now. Oh, wow. My goodness. And um, we always have really incredible blog posts that go with each episode. They kind of like just give you those important points of the episode and things, some important takeaways that you can glean from listening. All right, Casey. I like that. After they <laughs> go on the website and, and check that out yeah. or maybe listen to a few more episodes while they're walking their dog, <laughs> maybe they'll want to do this. So take yeah. it away. So as Emily said at the start of the show, right, we are celebrating over 200,000 downloads of the Together in Literacy podcast. And I have to say, I cannot, that still blows my mind. When Emily and I first started this podcast, we were like, well, who's going to listen? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We've heard from people all around the world, and it's just so exciting because it just shows the need and and the desire to want to know more about dyslexia and and more about, you know, understanding the child as a whole, both, yes, the academic component, but also that social emotional impact and that Emily and I are both so passionate about. So Mm -hmm. to celebrate that amazing number of downloads, we are giving away a certificate for $20 credit from each of our stores. So that is $40 worth of resources that are directly aligned with the research of reading. And I have to say that Emily and I, we both create the resources in our store because we are practicing therapists and practitioners. They are created because our students needed them. So we are... We use our resources yes. with our students. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yes. And I think that there's something to be said for that in terms of, right, we are people who we are in in the thick of it. We practice. We have students that we yeah. provide services to. So We love we love our students. We love them <laughs> we so do. much. We do. <laughs> so much. Yeah. So you may be asking, okay, how do I get in this amazing giveaway? Well, yeah. first thing, 
I want you to turn tune in, turn in your entry. So we have an entry form for you to fill out. Okay. Um, turn that in by February 1st and it will have the following information. So number one, we're really looking to increase the number of reviews on the podcast. So that's the first thing. So provide a written review of the podcast. So you'll enter that on either Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to the podcast and just let us know what handle you use to write that review. And then you'll complete that Google survey link, which you'll find here in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And then make sure that you listen for the winner on February 5th on episode 10. So February 5th. 2024, we will announce the the winner and that will be on episode number 10. So just remember, get your entry in by February 1st so that you can listen for the winner on February 5th and we will contact the winners via email, but we'll say your name um, in the episode. So we will have, you'll have to make sure that you listen to episode 10 to find out who wins and once again thank you thank you from the bottom of our hearts as always we love doing this podcast we love sharing with all of you this is such a joyful part of being in education truly it is just such a gift to serve and help others so we we so appreciate you and we will see you on the next episode good luck everyone and thanks for listening bye Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.